Hi, this is Dr. David, and welcome back to the Fresh Start Podcast with Dr. David. Um, This podcast episode is all about depression, and uh, that's a huge thing right now. It's a huge problem. People are depressed about a lot of different things, and when I say depressed, I don't just mean that they're frustrated and sad or disappointed. I mean they're clinically depressed. Um, and, you know, as you may or may not know, um, the Kaiser Foundation recently released a report that said that 90% of Americans felt like we're in a mental health crisis in this country. And I very much uh, agree with that. I think we are in a crisis in this country. I don't really see the government <clears throat> or local governments or state governments or the administrative parts of America or American government, or anybody really doing anything about it. Everybody's just kind of sitting on the sidelines. It's kind of sad. Um, And, um, you know, um, I think we need to change that. We need to change the narrative on that. So welcome back to the Fresh Start with Dr. David podcast. I started this podcast uh, a a couple of weeks ago. There are two episodes already. The first was the introductory episode, which is available. Um you know, on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever you use to access Apple Podcasts. And then the the first full episode, which is episode two, is also available. That one was on ROI, which stands for Return on Investment, which is all about what you get back from the things you invest your time, money, money, energy, emotions, and everything else into. So it, it's a podcast that's all about what am I getting for what I'm giving? Right, um, and which obviously brings up the concept of the value of things. So, what do you value? Um, because if you value something more, then you're more likely to give more for it versus something that you don't value. So, um, anyway, make sure you check that out. Um, a couple of things before I get started with today. One thing I want to say is, uh, <laughs> and this is funny. This and this is just kind of a reflective thing. When you go back and listen to a podcast, my grammar is pretty good. Um, it's not perfect, but it's pretty good. However, one of the things that I've realized and learned is that when you're recording a podcast and you're thinking about how you're going to phrase things and the way that you're going to put things and what word you're going to use versus another word, sometimes you make grammatical errors. So just please excuse any grammatical or English language mistakes that I make and just know that I have pretty good grammar. It's not perfect uh, and it can always use improvement, but it's pretty good. But on a podcast, I may make mistakes and that's just part of the process. In my case, uh, you know, some people who have podcasts on Apple or Spotify or elsewhere, they pre record it, they pre script it. They write it out ahead of time. They do it like, they treat it like a presentation or a show. And, um, you know, maybe the day will come when I have a show. (laughs) But right now, it's just me sharing my thoughts and ideas and beliefs and, you know, concepts in between seeing clients. um, Or before seeing clients or after seeing clients. So it really is just kind of me sharing my thoughts about things and how I think we should approach solutions and 
you know, sharing my ideas about what we can achieve if we all work together and if we, you know, think outside the box, see outside the circle and things like that. So please know that, you know, I'd like to, I try to make these as professional as possible, but at the same time, just realize I'm using my desktop computer um, or my laptop. I'm using just this cheap $4 application uh, called uh, Easy Audio Recorder on my Mac and um, my MacBook Pro, and that's basically it. It's not pre-scripted, I know the topic, um, and usually before I approach a topic, I have a list of topics that I wanna cover in shows, but um, a long list actually. But basically, um, you know, the pre-work for me recording a podcast is me writing down the topic that I wanna talk about and having about six, seven, eight bullet points, and that's it. Uh, I may look up a statistic, I may look up this or that, but there's no pre-scripted show. So just kind of bear in mind that, you know, um, this is just me sharing my ideas, beliefs, thoughts, concepts in between seeing clients, before seeing clients, after seeing clients, or on the weekends, and those types of things. So, um, you know, please don't expect, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know something that's, that's professionally produced and things like that. Just bear with me. But, um. Anyway, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, hopefully, I'll uh, enlighten you about something. I'll awaken, awaken you about some issue, concept, or idea, or problem that's facing America. Um, and generally speaking, uh, the podcast will be about a mental health and wellness topic, a medical topic, a healthcare topic, or just some other kind of topic uh, related to sociology or anthropology or psychology and things of that nature. Things that affect people, real people, uh, daily in real situations. So with that, I'm gonna go ahead and get started. Welcome back. Uh, I would also like to mention, if you do have a mental health issue, feel free to reach out to one of my practices. I do have several practices. You can look at the description of on the episode. There are links to my practices um, there. The website addresses, I'll just mention two of them here. Um, www.mlcoga.com, which stands for MLC of Greater Atlanta, um, and then www.atlantacoaching.com. And um, you can also check out atlantahealthandwellness.com as well. So I also have two self-improvement books, Sweet Potato Pie for the Spirit, Soul, and Psyche, which is a tribute to Oprah Winfrey and Super Soul Sundays, and then also Tomato Bisque for the Brain. Those are both available everywhere that books are sold, including Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Google Play, Apple, iBooks. And if you purchase a copy, a printed copy, or the ebook version of the book, then I will send you a free Audible version that you can listen to while you commute, or in your spare time, or while you're working, or whatever else. So anyway, that's a little bit about my practices and my books. And if you check out the introductory episode, you'll learn more about what prompted me to do um, this podcast and what I've kind of envisioned it achieving. So this is all about achieving solutions. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and get started. Um, I am a little stopped up. I think it's because of the fall and the seasons change. I do have really, really bad allergies that I kind of try to address with diet. Um, I don't like taking antihistamines, they kind of dry you out. They have a lot of uh, cholinergic side effects. They dry you out, which is not good if you're someone like me who also takes blood pressure medications. 
So I try to use a holistic approach, just like I do with everything. Um, and so just bear with me, I am a little stopped up. One other thing I'd like to say too, uh, is even though I promote a holistic approach, a holistic, functional, integrative, psychoanalytic, naturopathic type approach, um, I also believe that, you know, the situation needs to meet the action, right? And so if you're in a situation where you're in a mental health crisis, please reach out for help. And I would recommend, if possible, you would reach out to a mental health professional. Um, and I won't spend a lot of time going into this, but I'd just like to say there are instances where people with mental health crises um, who have been, you know, killed, haven't had bad, good interactions with the police. And that's nothing against the police. I'm, I'm not going to really <laughs> go into that issue. Uh, you know, the whole issue of, of, of interactions between the public and the authorities. Um, I think that um, the authorities are asked to do a lot of things that probably mental health professionals should be doing. And I think we need to change some things to make it so that that's happening. I have seen um, some groups to bring up that issue. And I just think that that's it. But the reason why I say that is just this. Um, I'd hate for you or someone else to have a mental health crisis and then, you know, call it 911 and then the authorities come out and then someone ends up getting injured, maimed, uh, or killed. So that's definitely not what you want to happen. So what I would recommend is if you are in a mental health crisis, reach out to your crisis line. In Georgia, there's a crisis line that's on the resources pages of two of my websites. It's called the Georgia Access Line, I believe, the Georgia Access Crisis Line. But anyway, there's a link to it on my resources page that you can check out. Uh, and there are other links too. The other things you can do is, is try a local mental health um, uh, facility or hospital. Here there are several different ones. Uh, you can do a Google search. You can, you know, uh, you know, do any kind of search online and check for that. But check with that, and then also check with your your primary care physician or something like that, or try a local hospital. But you know, try that approach first. Obviously, if if none of those things are available, then you can just call nine one one. But you know, if you're suicidal, if you kind of feel like things are, uh, you know, have become. Um, you know, worthless, or there's no point, or, you know, you're just in despair, things like that, please reach out for help to someone, someone you love, someone you trust, or a, a dedicated healthcare professional or facility that can help you, okay? Um, so with that, I'm going to go ahead and get started today. Um, I'm sitting here with a good cup of coffee. Uh, thank God for coffee. Mm. Uh, it certainly helps me through the day. But anyway, today's topic is depression. So um, like I mentioned earlier, depression is a huge problem in this country. And um, I think we could do a lot more to uh, address it. I think there is still stigma attached to a lot of mental health conditions. And I think that's changing because it, they affect so many people now. Um, you know, I'm going to go through just a few statistics about depression, just so we can kind of introduce the topic. And then from there, I'll go into some of the things that I want to talk about, uh, some of the things that I want you to be aware of if you have any depressive symptoms or if you see someone with depressive symptoms, 
just so that you and they would have a better outcome. And then I'll, I'll also introduce um, just some thoughts about um, approaching depression moving forward. But let me start off with some statistics from the World Health Organization on depression. And these are from the World Health Organization, September 2021. Um, here's some key facts, uh, and this is directly from their website. Depression is a common mental disorder. Global, globally, it is estimated that 5% of adults suffer, suffer from depression. I think that's a gross undervaluation of the number. I think it's much, much higher than that. And I think the problem is, is a lot of people don't recognize it's de depression. They're in denial about it. Uh, or they just don't report it. So I think I think the number's much higher than that. I, I would guess it's at least 10, 20%. Um, so that number, uh, I'm not sure about that number, but it doesn't sound right to me. I don't think that's right, Five, just 5%. Uh, let's see, what's next? Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide and is a major contributor to the overall global burden of disease. Absolutely. One of the things that I've started doing with my practice, uh, my practices is offering coaching, life coaching, mental health coaching, and things like that to corporations, um, it costs a lot of money uh, to have people who are sitting at their desk or working from home and they're depressed. It really does. Um, and so I think employers should work to help their employees uh, tackle these types of issues because you know, desired, undesired, wanted, unwanted, fair, unfair, if employees are dealing with a mental health issue, it's gonna negatively impact their work. It just is. Um, and they may not talk about it, but it will. So the best approach is to be proactive about it. And so if you're a corporation, a small business, a company, a workplace, and you wanna help your employees, you wanna increase productivity, increase revenues, increase efficiency, increase workplace morale, um, then contact one of my practices. Uh, and we'll do workshops, uh, presentations, retreats, uh, and one-on-one -on -one coaching to help your employees be the best versions of themselves, right? And the thing about it is, is it's gonna positively impact your company and your revenue, so you, you should do it. You're helping your employees, um, you're leading, and at the same time, you're actually boosting revenues and profits too. So it's good for everyone all around. The next thing, more women are affected by depression than men. Um, that may or may not be true. So this is, this is and this is one of the things, uh, you know, I've hear a lot of people talk about statistics. You have to look at the context of the statistics, right? Um, and some of these statistics, as I read them, I'm just like, um, I don't know about that. It, it depends on how you define depression, it depends on how you define affected by. I don't think that's right. I think women are more likely to present with symptoms of depression because they're more likely to admit that they have depressive symptoms, especially in patriarchal cultures. So, and that's just the cultural aspect of this. And that's one of the problems with some of these statistics is they don't take into account or mention cultural relativities and cultural constraints when it comes to things like this. but. I don't necessarily think that women are any more affected by depression than men. I think they're more likely to admit it and to present and ask for help than men, uh, especially in certain cultures. Um, and I would, I would wager that 
in general, America is more of a liberal culture in, in some of those aspects compared to other cultures. Uh, now, if you talk about Scandinavian countries and some other more liberal countries, there are certainly places much, much more liberal than America. So if someone's thinking that America is the most liberal country on the world, uh, they're missing the mark. Uh, and you can look at countries like Sweden, Norway, Denmark, the Netherlands, where I lived, um, where I studied before I went to medical school. Um, those countries are much more liberal than America. And if you actually live there, you would, you would experience that firsthand. So that's one thing. But I don't, even though women may be more affected by depression than men, maybe because of hormonal or metabolic or other reasons, or because of the effects of testosterone versus estrogen, things like that, that might be true. But generally, I don't think it's, it's that drastic of a difference. The thing is, is in our cultures and many other cultures, men tend to be more stoic, uh, more responsibilities regarding finances and work and providing and protecting and security are associated and attributed to men. So men are expected in our culture and in many other cultures to not be weak. And unfortunately, people see depression as a weakness. It's not a weakness. It's just a symptom or condition. Uh, and it, 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 you know, weakness shouldn't come up, but it does, unfortunately. So even though this says that more women are affected by depression than men, I would argue that it's probably the case that depressive symptoms manifest differently in men. And so if you have to look for different signs of depression in men versus women, they just don't always present the same. Now, in a culture where, like ours, where what men are and what men do is converging more with what women are and women do, then you have to look a lot closer at it. Um, you know, if you compare the norms for men and women now compared to, like, I don't know, the 50s, it's a drastic, drastic difference. Um, and, you know, that's only a 70-year time span. Um, even if you compared, like, for instance, the 80s, I was born in the 70s, but even if you compare uh, the 80s to today, it's a big difference on what men can wear and what women can wear and it not be something that would bring ostracization and those types of things. It's a big difference. Um, moving to the next thing. Depression can lead to suicide. Absolutely. Uh, and um, I could do a, a podcast where I could talk about my own struggles with things like ADHD, depression, anxiety, and I probably will at some point. I won't do it now uh, because it's not about me. <laughs> it's about helping others and it's about you. But it certainly does lead to suicide, and um, and that's the point where you should, or someone you know who's suffering from suicidal ideations, which are just thoughts, should present um, for help immediately. Yep. And then the last bullet point here under key facts from the World Health Organization is that there's effective treatment for mild, moderate, and severe depression, and that's absolutely true. One of the things I will add about that is you know, my practices are holistic. My approach to medicine and, and health and wellness is this. Uh, and this is based upon what physicians take an oath to, to do, which I think is lost in today's culture of healthcare, uh, which, as I pointed out before, is generally controlled by about five different interests. Number one, insurance companies. Number two, um, pharmaceutical companies. Number three, large healthcare 
organizations. Um, number four, the government, uh, the FDA, um, Center for um, the Centers for Disease Control. I could go down the list of healthcare agencies in America uh, that have a profound effect on healthcare. And then the last thing would be, you know, physicians and other healthcare professionals and things like that. Um, but unfortunately, you know, the goal is money and for especially those top three, it's money. And when that's the goal, then that's gonna basically shower or change the context for the provision of healthcare services. And so when the number one goal is money, not helping people, then that's just gonna change the type of responses you get. And that's just part of the root problem with healthcare in America. Um, and if you wanna hear more about my thoughts about that, um, then listen to the introductory podcast. But that's a central big problem and nobody's paying attention to that. Your intentions, your goals, shower, or I use the word shower, <laughs> um, but you could, you know, they influence all of your actions going forward. Whatever you want um, affects how you approach things. And so when the chief goal is money and profit and not actually helping people or creating a strong, well country, then you're gonna get a totally different set of results. And it's not a shock that we have some of the problems that we have because the goal, the highest goal for the interests that control healthcare in this country is money. Um, there's another word for that, that's called greed. <laughs> and I'll definitely talk about that in a future uh, episode, but that's the problem. Greed is the problem with healthcare in America. Greed, greed and a complete lack of accountability. But anyway, I'll move on. Um, but yes, there is effective treatment for mild, moderate, and severe depression. But one of the oaths that I took during medical during my medical education was as a physician or an MD, number one, do no harm. And then number two, do good, right? The order matters. Number one, you don't want to make things worse. And then number two, you wanna make things better. But you don't wanna make things better and then in the long term, make three, make things worse. And that's the reason why I bring that up is because I think unless you're in a crisis, you should check out a holistic option, right? Um, and I'll go into this a little bit more later on, but it is certainly the case that people who have an underlying thyroid condition or vitamin deficiency or some other type of problem um, that could be treated in a different way are diagnosed as depressed. They're given a diagnosis of major depressive disorder and then they're treated with antidepressants. And instead of being treated with those antidepressants for a six month or 12 month or maybe 24 month period, they're on them for 20 years. And depression, uh, their depression was caused by something else. And so, you know, if you have an iron deficiency anemia or some other type of anemia, uh, a macrocytic or microcytic anemia, and I won't go into those but they can present as depression or if you're dehydrated or if you're be, being treated with a drug like like beta blockers propanolol metoprolol i could go down a list of those that can also cause depressive symptoms somebody might 
diagnose you with major depressive disorder when that's really not the problem. Uh, the problem is the thing, the other thing that you're either missing or that you're being treated with that's causing the depressive symptoms. So that's one of the things I think that's a huge, huge miscarriage in the mental health system is uh, it doesn't do due diligence in protecting people from getting on um, antidepressants and other things when they really need a different approach. Now, that doesn't mean you can't do both. You can treat somebody's anemia and treat their depressive symptoms and then take them off the antidepressant after their uh, anemia or whatever else has been addressed. Uh, but if somebody has an anemia or a thyroid problem or is treated, being treated with a beta blocker, that person shouldn't necessarily be on an antidepressant for 20 years. And, and that's, that's, that's a process that happens because of the influence of drug companies, pharmaceutical companies in this country, and it should not be that way. Um, because, you know, I'll get into this a little bit later. It's not necessarily the case with most antidepressants, but there are some mood sta stabilizers and other drugs that can cause a lot of harm, movement disorders, things like that. And a lot of times patients aren't even told about that. They're put on some medication that's, okay, well, this is for your mood. They're not explained all the risks, all the side effects. And then next thing you know, they have a movement disorder. And, you know, when you, when people look at mental health conditions, symptoms, disorders, things like that, they have to weigh the pros and cons of a treatment or therapy. Um, you wanna, you know, like I said, try to do no harm and then to do good. But at the same time, you know, if you're being treated with something and you're not a physician or an MD, you need to know about the side effects, especially the ones that are permanent or long-term. And so if somebody's treating you with a medication that could cause a movement disorder, you need to be told about that. If you're being treated with uh, a medication that could cause addiction, like stimulants, like Adderall or Vyvanse, or like benzodiazepines that are used to treat panic disorder and anxiety, you need to be told about that. If you're being treated with medications, especially long-term, um, but even in the short-term, you should be told about the risks and benefits of those medications versus other things that could be tried, right? You have a right to know that. Um, so I won't go any more into that, but I'll just say this, unless you're in a crisis, unless it's an emergency, unless you have no other option, seek out a holistic approach first, because a holistic approach, unlike some of the options that I offer with my practices, will not do any harm, right? That's the key. You don't want to make things worse, right, with the response. So there's a stimulus, which is what happens, and then there's a response, which is a reaction to the stimulus. And you don't want the reaction to the stimulus or what happened to be worse or to produce worse outcomes than the original stimulus itself, right? You don't want to be the you don't want the cure or the treatment to be worse than what originally happens. And sadly, that happens all the time, right? Um, let me give you a few more facts about depression and suicide. Um, these are also from the World Health Organization. Depression is a common illness worldwide with an estimated 3.8% of the population affected, including 5% among adults and 5.7% among adults over the age of 60. I think it's much higher than that. Like I said, approximately 280 million people in the world have depression. It's probably much higher than that. Um, my guess is probably closer to a billion. 
Um, depression is different from usual mood fluctuations and short-lived emotional responses to challenges in everyday life. That is true. Um, and there's a hybrid or, or intermediate between that that's called seasonal affective disorder, which basically means winter depression. And there are things that you can do about that too. Let's see what else. Especially when recurrent and with moderate or severe intensity, depression may become a serious health condition. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and it has a negative effect on people's pocketbook because if you're depressed a significant amount of the time, you're not gonna be as productive, you're not going to be as um, active, and that's gonna translate into your workplace, your productivity, the opportunities that you seize or fail to seize, and over your lifetime, it's gonna have a negative impact on your finances. And there are statistics that show that. So being well, in terms of your mood, has a financial benefit. Yep, and I always tell people that when they come to see me, you know, um, because I don't take uh, insurance. I can accept, uh, you know, other things, but I, um, I don't take insurance, but I always tell people, you get what you pay for. If you invest in your mental health, it's gonna come back to you more than you could possibly imagine, much more than you would ever incur at my office. Um, and I can tell you, most of the clients who come to see me have gotten promotions, gotten more opportunities, they make more money, uh, they've started small businesses, uh, they've gotten raises and everything else. And I'd like to think that some of the things that they've experienced in my practice have contributed to that. And if you go to the websites, you can see the reviews, positive reviews from over 80 people um, that share, express those types of sentiments. Um, so that goes back to the concept of ROI. Whatever you invest in, that's where you're going to get a return. Uh, you know, if you see in the news, oh, well, you know, this stock just flew through the market. Um, well, if you didn't invest in that stock, I mean, it's great that, that, you know, everybody else made money, not you. So you have to make an investment right? Whether it's an investment in your education, if it's an investment in your career, an investment in a company that you start, an investment in a bank account or savings account, an investment in a mutual fund or an ETF um, or a stock market. You've got to make an investment if you want to return. If you don't jump in the game, then you can't play and you can't win. That, that's another analogy for it. Let's see, what else? Um, depression can cause the affected person to suffer greatly and function poorly at work, at school, and in a family. Just what I was just talking about. At its worst, depression can lead to suicide. Absolutely. Over 700,000 people die due to suicide every year. And my guess is it's higher than that because it, that if it's defined as a suicide or not, it depends on a coroner and, and some other things. And so my guess is the number is higher than that. I think in some instances where it falls on the line, um, a coroner or some other person who makes a decision about the cause of death might be a little bit more um, likely to say that it's not a suicide, depending on the circumstances. And then the last thing it says here, suicide is the fourth leading of cause, a fourth leading cause of death in people in the 15 to 20 year age range. And, and I certainly think that that's probably true. Um, and I think it's sad. It's something we need to fix. Um, I'll move on a little bit about suicide. Um, 
and I'll just say this, uh, I'm not going to read all of it, but there's some key things. Number one, over 77% of global suicides occurred in low and middle income countries in 2019. Um, and suicide is a serious public health problem. Um, suicides are preventable with timely evidence-based and often low-cost interventions, absolutely. Um, and for natural responses to be effective, a comprehensive multi-sectorial suicide prevention strategy is needed. Wow. <laughs> Whoever created that sentence is uh, <laughs> crafty. But it's absolutely true. Um, suicide is preventable. Um, there are things that you can do to actually prevent depression, too. And that's one of the focuses of my practice. I think one of the short-sightedness, which is also based on profit, unfortunately, in our healthcare system, is being reactive versus proactive. There are things that you can proactively do to help prevent depression, especially during the winter time and when there's, you know, especially seasonal affective disorder, which is winter depression. But there are things that you can do proactively to prevent depression from occurring in the first place. Um, and I teach my clients how to do that. There's, there are things that you can do, techniques and methods um, that you can do to prevent anxiety and panic attacks too. I teach my clients how to do that every day. Um, so I think part of the problem with mental health is in this country is it's all reactive. And that reactivity leads to prescriptions and hospitalizations and suicides and things like that. So we've got to be proactive. But the reason why there's not a big push in this country to be proactive about mental health is because when we're reactive, we're more likely to reach and need medications, which only benefits pharmaceutical companies uh, and insurance companies too, because in order to get the pharmaceuticals, generally speaking, you need to have insurance. And those two kind of work hand in hand. You need insurance to get medications. And, um, you know, once you have insurance that allows you to get medications and other things too. Uh, and I'm not just saying that, that insurance is a bad thing. I'm not saying that. Uh, I tell my clients all the time, um, you know, check out getting a, a flexible spending account, a flexible healthcare spending account, or a health, a flexible health savings account. That way, you've got the benefits of having, um, you know, hospitalization services, surgical services, uh, wellness visits, complete physical exams, things like that. But you also have more control over where your dollars go. And you can use them for, you know, um, at my office, or you can use them at the dentist's office or the massage therapist's office and things like that. So I always tell people, you know, check with your employer, check with your HR, check with your benefits department and see if there's a flexible healthcare spending account or a health savings account that'll work for you uh, and your health status. Because if not, a lot of your dollars may be going to pay for other people's care or just going into the coffers of the insurance company. So I'm not saying insurance is bad. I'm just saying insurance and pharmaceutical companies in this country, uh, I think they have too high of an influence over healthcare and medicine. And I think that's a big part of the problem as I uh, alluded to earlier. When, you, when your chief goal is money, not medicine or wellness, then you're not gonna have as good of, of outcomes as you would have if the real goal was helping people be well. Wellness should be the underlying goal. And when you allow, as, is, as has happened in this country, you allow businesses and corporations 
to take charge of wellness, well, gee, what could go wrong? But I could go on and on about that. <laughs> and I'm not going to do that. I'll just say, I'll just say this. Um, try, try a holistic approach. And then check, check um, with your employer, with your benefits department, with HR, and see if a health savings account would benefit you. Because if not, then you're likely, unless you, now if you have a, if you have a multitude of medical conditions and, you know, you've got to see three specialists every month or every few months and, you know, you have, I don't know, the number of visits, you'd have to calculate it. But if you have a lot of healthcare expenses, then it may be behoove you to look, to keep your current plan. But, you know, it may help you. There might be a plan that better suits you. So make sure you look, take a look, even if you only take five or 10 minutes or 30 minutes on a Saturday, look at your healthcare plan and look at the options you have and, and make a choice based on the real conditions. Uh, and when I say real conditions, I mean the real circumstances regarding your health and how often you have to go to the doctor and how much your visits cost and things like that. It might help you, especially if you're young and or if you don't have a lot of medical conditions to get a health savings account or a flexible spending account, you might benefit more from that. Yep, okay, so I'm gonna move on um, to some of the big things I wanted to talk about. So, like I said earlier, one of my big things is be proactive. So, prevent things, prevent medical conditions, prevent symptoms, prevent mental health conditions. Be proactive, don't wait for something to happen and then react, be proactive. Do things to prevent things from happening. Now, you can't prevent everything. No one's perfect. But there are things that you can do, habits that you can have, decisions that you can make to make it less likely that you're going to be um, burdened by a mental health issue or a medical problem. And like I said, I think in this country we need to focus more on doing, not doing harm, um, especially... Uh, in terms of providers and people who are giving treatment. But I'm gonna talk a little bit about some things that can present just like depression or can actually cause depression. And unfortunately, in the mental health system, when people present with things that look like depression, we don't necessarily do a lot to make sure that the root cause isn't something else, right? So I'm just gonna go down this list and this is just something to think about. Um, and all of these things that I'm gonna list present just like depression or actually lead to depression but they are the underlying cause of it not just an organic depression itself right um, and I'm not going to go into the t distinction between those two but just know that certain things can either cause a depression or can look just like a depression the symptoms do right so I'm gonna start with the list number one dehydration you know and dehydration just means that you don't have enough water um, and this is common in people who are being treated with a medication. So, like for instance, myself, I take blood pressure medications. I take hydrochlorothiazide and I take amlodipine. I can feel them drying me out. Uh, instead of taking that combination, I could be on hydrochlorothiazide at double the dosage I'm on now. That would dry me out even more. And that's part of the reason why I'm on a combination. Um, you know, one of the drugs that I take operates at the level of... Uh, the kidneys and then the other one operates uh, at the level of the heart uh, and so that combination um, works better for me but dehydration not having enough water can look just like depression and it can actually cause you to be depressed malnutrition um, that's not having enough calories or not having the right nutrients right 
Um, and so malnutrition, just not having enough energy to make everything go, can cause depression. Uh, because your brain and your nervous system need those calories just like every other organ system does, right? The next, vitamin deficiencies. That's very, very common. And so I could go down a list of different vitamin deficiencies. I won't go through all, all of them. Um, but generally speaking, um, you know, some of the vitamin deficiencies um, in medicine, we break down vitamins into uh, two general categories, uh, fat-soluble vitamins, which um, are, the mnemonic for that is A-D-E-K, vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E, vitamin K, and then the water-soluble vitamins, which are generally the B vitamins, right? Um, the fat-soluble vitamins, if you're low in those, those call, can cause depression or depressive symptoms. The most common that most people probably see when they get their yearly complete physical exam is low vitamin D, right? Um, and so a vitamin D or vitamin A, but especially vitamin D deficiency can lead to that. Um, in terms of a vitamin D deficiency, if you are, if you do have a vitamin D deficiency, if you're going to address that, please address that with your, your primary care physician. Um, because the fat soluble vitamins, if you take too much, or if you have too much, those can also cause psychiatric symptoms. So if you take too much vitamin D or too much vitamin A, that can cause psychiatric issues. So that's not something that you want to just buy over-the-counter stuff and deal with on your own. You want to have a medical provider to do that for you because you don't want to take too much vitamin D or too much vitamin A, right? Or any of the fat-soluble vitamins, right? And then, like I said, the other one are the water-soluble vitamins, B vitamins. Um, you know, there are certain vitamin deficiencies that occur that directly affect the nervous system. Uh, I'm not going to go through uh, the list of those or present research. I'm just going to tell you what I remember from medical school. Um, and those are B6, B12, right, and thiamine. So thiamine um, can lead to depressive symptoms if it's low. Um, and so can B6 and B12. Um, and there are names for the anemias associated with those, um, with the two uh, B vitamins, uh, B6 and B12, um, I believe that those are generally characterized as macrocytic anemias, uh, which is the contrast to microcytic anemias. Microcytic anemias can also lead to depressive symptoms, and that's generally speaking things like iron, right? When people have an iron deficiency anemia, that can lead to depressive symptoms. Um, and, um, and then so can the B vitamin. So you want to make sure that you work with your primary care physician or whoever whatever physician is treating you and make sure that you're getting um, the right vitamins and minerals on a daily basis mineral some mineral deficiencies can probably cause those too but those aren't necessarily as as studied as the vitamin deficiencies and you know I, I tell every client who comes to see me you know work with your your physician to make sure that you're getting the nutrients that you need. I talk about those in my book, The Nutrient Diet, and I certainly take uh, a daily multivitamin, a good quality one, not a cheap one, a good one, every single day. And there's a big difference in the quality of vitamins. So you wanna check with somebody like me or someone similar to make sure uh, that you're taking good, high quality vitamins. Um, and even in my book, I talk about this. Um, a lot of people just go to the store get a multivitamin and they'll get some vitamin that has 
30,000% of something, okay, that's a warning signal. That's a warning sign. That's a red flag. If a vitamin formulation has 30,000% of something or 3,000% or 10,000%, that's a warning sign. You don't want that. You don't need that. Because here's the thing about it. Your body has to get rid of that. So generally speaking, everything that you put in your body is metabolized by one of two organs, the kidneys or the liver, the liver or the kidneys. That's it. They have to be metabolized, and that's vitamins, nutrients, chemicals, everything else. And so if you take too much of this stuff, then you're going to overwork your kidneys or damage them or your liver, right? So bigger isn't always better. So don't biggie size when it comes to the vitamins. Now, if they say, you know, 200% of vitamin B12, that's really common. Uh, that's not so bad. Or 120%. That's not so bad. But if it says 3,000 or 5,000 or 10,000%, yeah, you want to check with somebody, right? More is not always better. In fact, more sometimes, a lot of times, can actually do damage. And we know that's true about calories. You know, more calories isn't necessarily better. You want the right quality of ca calories, not just a higher quantity of calories, right? The next thing on the list, number four, medication side effects. A lot of medications cause depressive symptoms. And the chief ones that come to mind for me, um, number one, some antihistamines can cause that, depressive symptoms, or what looks like depressive symptoms. And then the other category um, is beta blockers. Uh, and so if you have a cardiologist or if your primary care physician has you on a beta blocker and they put you on one and all of a sudden you feel depressed, just realize part of the reason might be because of that. And then have a discussion with your cardiologist or your primary care physician uh, about that. And maybe it can be adjusted. Maybe they can you know, reduce the dose or things like that or give you something else to help, help counter, counterbalance that. Uh, obviously, you want to take good care of your heart. But just realize that some medications can can cause that um, and you know medications that dehydrate you can cause that too including blood pressure medications uh, let's see next on the list number five normal adjustments yeah so normal adjustments to life to life situations um, can cause depressive symptoms examples of that are grief if you have a loved one or a pet who dies if you I don't know if you get fired from work or you get demoted at work or if a relationship ends, um, or if you have to move away from your friends and family, things like that, um, there's an adjustment period. Um, and it, depending on the situation, the adjustment period might be three months, it might be six months, it might be 12 months. But once you get to the 12 month mark, you need to do something about it, right? So if you're adjusting to some life circumstance, now that isn't, now let me add a caveat to that. Grief grief and bereavement uh, even though you know in dsm-5 from a psychiatric standpoint um you know it's defined as this period or that period but honestly when you lose someone someone who's close to you it, it gets less and less the pain gets less and less but it, it i don't know that it ever fully goes away and i don't know that anybody i've met or had as a client who told me oh yeah it's it's 100 gone i i don't think i've ever heard that before not once. So think about it in terms of, you know, is it going down or is it staying the same, right? So if you take two people, they both lost someone, they both lost a pet. Person A is, uh, you know, 
16 months out, 12 months out, um, they were really, you know, sad about it. They had mild to moderate depression. Uh, but now, a year later, a year and a half later, you know, they're not back to the way they are, but they feel a lot better. And then you've got person B who is just as depressed or sad uh, or has a disturbance in mood 16 months out as they did a month after it happened. Those are two totally different situations. That second person definitely needs to seek assistance, right? Now, they both might benefit from some some coping skills and cognitive behavioral therapies and life coaching and things like that. But person B, if it's not reducing, then you need to do something about it, especially after the 12-month mark. And so generally speaking, that's another kind of concept in healthcare and in medicine. You know, there are different marks for different things, but... In mental health, a lot of the marks are regarding uh, date ranges like three months, six months, nine months, and 12 months. Uh, and so what's the difference in somebody's affect or how they seem three months out or six months out or nine months out or 12 months out? Once you reach the 12-month mark with things like depressive symptoms and anxiety symptoms, you definitely need to have them addressed, right? Uh, the next thing on the list, um, normal mood changes. Um, and this kind of brings up the idea of our condition of seasonal affective disorder. I know when I moved to Maine um, during for, for medical school that uh, because of the seasons in Maine and the amount of sunlight, I could feel depressive symptoms. The way that I address that is, is I, I did go to a, uh, um, a mental health provider. I think I actually went to a primary care physician. And he put me on Prozac, which I think is probably, in my opinion, one of the best antidepressants ever developed. Um, but that's just my opinion and my personal experience. Um, and then the other thing that I did uh, after I did some research, because they certainly didn't teach us about this in medical school, is I got full spectrum light bulbs. I replaced all the light bulbs in my little bitty apartment in Maine with full, full spectrum light bulbs. And it helped me tremendously. It helped me in my focus and concentration when I was trying to study. And it helped me in terms of my mood. So that's something that you can do from an environmental standpoint that can help with depressive symptoms. Um, and so there's mood changes associated with every season. When you, uh, when you go from summer to fall, when you go from fall to spring, when you go from spring to summer, all those types of things. So just keep that in mind. Number seven on the list, overindulgence in alcohol. Um, you may not feel it the day that you drink, but the next day you might feel a little bit depressed. Um, and we all know that alcohol is a CNS depressant. And, and actually, alcohol acts differently in different parts of the brain, right? Um, so some parts of the brain, the brain, depending on whether it's a, a, an inhibitory effect or it's a, um, um, a excitatory effect, it can cause things to go up and go down. And when I say up and down, I mean certain brain activity, certain regions, certain neurotransmitters. And so alcohol has different effects all over the body, but even within the brain itself, it has different effects. But sometimes it can cause depressive symptoms. And especially if you're talking about overindulgence in alcohol on a regular or chronic basis. The next thing, chronic smoking, vaping, cigarette smoking, right? That can also lead to depressive symptoms. And actually, um, you know, smoking can also has, have a negative effect on memory, cognition, 
thinking, all those different things. Uh, and especially if you're talking about commercial cigarettes that have like 4,500 chemicals in them, um, then it can definitely have that. Um, and, and I can tell you from my own personal experience, um, you know, I'm not ashamed to admit that I smoked for a long time. Um, and, um, and I made the decision a few years ago not to be a daily smoker. And, um, and I could immediately tell that my memory improved, my thinking improved, everything just kind of improved. So that's something to think about. Uh, if you are a heavy, especially if you're a heavy, moderate to heavy smoker, um, then it can lead to depressive symptoms. Uh, in addition to a bunch of other uh, things. And I could do a whole podcast on the effects of smoking. Um, and I definitely think from a public health standpoint, um, we need to pay more attention to the fact that smoking just doesn't affect your lungs. It affects your heart. It affects your other organs too. And I think if more people have uh, a realization of that, uh, especially in terms of the effects that it has on the brain and thinking and things like that, and um, more people would probably make the choice not to smoke or reduce the, their amount of smoking. The next thing on the list, uh, exhaustion or overwork. When you're exhausted, that can cause depressive symptoms. When you're exasperated or frustrated, that can lead to or look like depressive symptoms. Uh, lack of sunlight, and I talked about that earlier. Um, and as you know, or may not know, um, sunlight is where we get vitamin D from. Um, and so you can get vitamin D from the diet, but you can also get it from sunlight. Uh, and so the lack of sunlight can cause depressive symptoms. Um, and it's my belief um, that um, less sunlight or the you know darkness doesn't just affect vitamin D. I think that's probably one of the more obvious effects, but I think it affects a lot of other things too. Uh, the next thing, insomnia or the lack of sleep, that can actually lead to depressive symptoms. Um, another one is anxiety. So a lot of times people present with both anxiety and depression. And a lot of times it's certainly the case, and I see it all the time in my practices, that people have anxiety first, and then after they tried a bunch of things to deal with the anxiety and it hasn't worked and they get frustrated and exasperated, then they become depressed about it. So it's been my experience that a lot of times anxiety precedes depression. So if you deal with the anxiety, then the depression also goes away. And then the last one on the list I'll add, um, which could also have a whole podcast of its own, is marijuana and substance usage. So um, a lot of times people tout uh, the positive effects of things like marijuana, and there are a lot of people who are proponents of recreational marijuana. I'm not a proponent of it, um, and here's why. Um, number one, um, when you look at marijuana today, and I'm talking about marijuana that you buy off the street, it's totally different from the marijuana that was around when I was in high school and college. Um, I didn't do a lot of marijuana. I certainly did try marijuana and some other things uh, when I was in high school and college. Um, very sporadically, but the marijuana that's around today is different from the marijuana that was around back then. The strength, things like that, and then now, you know, it's laced with things, and so it's absolutely the case that once a month, once every two weeks, sometimes even weekly, I get a call from a mother or an aunt who has a son or nephew 
who went out with some friends, and usually it's a male between the ages of 16, 17, and 25. He went out with some friends, they smoked weed, and now he's just not the same. He's paranoid, he's schizophrenic, he's had a psychotic break, he won't leave his room, he quit his job, he won't go to work, he is distant socially, he's saying weird things, he doesn't understand things, things that he says don't make sense. And all those things um, point to schizophrenia. Um, and, you know, I won't go into a whole talk about schizophrenia or dopamine, but I will ex I will share this axis, right? And this is part of what I call the dopaminergic axis. If you have too much dopamine, dopamine is a neurotransmitter um, that's produced in your brain. Um, just like serotonin and acetylcholine and glutamate, and I could go down the list of neurotransmitters, uh, glycine, GABA, which is an inhibitory. So they're excitatory neurotransmitters that kind of make things go, and then they're inhibitory neurotransmitters that kind of make things stop. Dopamine is one of the most important neurotransmitters in your system um, in terms of your mental activity and other things, but especially mental activity. If you have too much dopamine, then you get things like schizophrenia and psychotic episodes. Um, if you get too little, then you get movement disorders like Parkinson's disease and things like that. And so dopamine is a thing that is related to movement and thought and thinking and so many different things. It's one of the most important neurotransmitters that you have, um, you know, just like acetylcholine and other things, but you know, dopamine affects everything. And marijuana directly affects that pathway. So my question is this, when you're talking about one of the most important neurotransmitter systems in the body, why would you really wanna mess with it? I would wanna mess with it. And not only that, if you're buying marijuana off the street versus you know something that you buy from a dispensary or something in Colorado or something, you don't know what's, what's in it. You know, it could be laced with this, it could be laced with that. They could have put this chemical in it, that chemical in it. You know, um, so I'm not going to get into a huge discussion about uh, the legalization of recreational marijuana. I can tell you I'm against it. Uh, I also think that, uh, you know, even though there are cases where, you know, you'll meet someone and they'll say, oh, you know, I smoked marijuana all through law school and I made straight A's. Or I smoked marijuana all through med school and I made straight A's. I mean, there are people like that. Uh, or college or, you know, whatever because it relaxed them, it took away their anxiety and they could focus and remember and things like that. But I'll just say this, there are certain classes of drugs, including marijuana, or in the, you know, more specifically the, the active ingredient in terms of getting high, which is THC. Um, there are certain drugs out there that cause permanent brain chemistry changes, permanent brain chemistry changes. Marijuana is one of them, cocaine's another one, LSD, um, um, which is, uh, you know, causes a lot of things. You've heard of a bad trip. Um, let's see, psychedelic mushrooms can do that. Ecstasy can do that. Certainly things like bath salts and uh, PCP and crack cocaine and, and other stuff. But marijuana is one of, in the class with those substances that causes permanent brain chemistry changes. And even though there are some technologies out there now that are being developed that can change that, they're not widely available. So once that happens, and so, you know, um, I can't even 
convey my thoughts and feelings when one of these aunts or mothers calls me about, you know, their nephew or their kid. And, you know, I know, you know, I give them my two cents about it and what they should do and how they should reach out to a psychiatrist uh, so the kid can get stabilized on medication. And then maybe if they want to come to me for life coaching and, and other kind of life things that we can do to make get so that they can try to get back to the way that they were as much as possible. But I mean, the thing about it is, is all you need is one bad trip. So anyway, I'm not going to harp any more about marijuana. Um, obviously I recommend that people not engage in recreational marijuana. Um, you know, I think now there are a lot of CBD formulations that people use for pain symptoms and things like that. But I'll tell you this, a lot of people who use CBD products, there's not a lot of regulation around CBD products. And a lot of times people think that it's just CBD and it's not. It's CBD and it's THC. And they may or may not know that. So anyway, that's the last thing on the list. I'll just go down it again um, of things that look de like depression or can cause depression. And those are root causes. So that means you need to address that thing. Now, that doesn't mean you can't address that thing and address the depression as well. I think you should probably address both. But just realize there's some things out there that look like depression. And if you present to a mental health provider, uh, a psychiatrist, you could be put on an antidepressant and just assume to have depression when you really have something else, something else that's underlying. Especially if your healthcare team, um, your, the psychiatrist you go to and your primary care physician or other um, physician, if they're not communicating and they're not talking. Uh, and if something gets missed, you could be end up being on something you probably shouldn't be on for a long, long, long time or much longer than you should be. Yep, but I'll go down that list one more time. Things that look like and or cause depressive symptoms. Number one, dehydration. Number two, malnutrition. Number three, vitamin deficiencies. Number four, medication side effects. Number five, normal adjustments to life circumstances like grief. Um, number six, normal mood changes associated with the season seasons and other things like that number seven overindulgence in alcohol number eight chronic smoking or vaping number nine exhaustion or overwork or frustration number 10 exasperation number 11 lack of sunlight number 12 lack of sleep or insomnia uh, number 13 marijuana substance usage and I mentioned I think one other one too uh, like number 14 and I can't really remember what that is but I think um, I think number 14 um, was some other kind of life circumstance um, so anyway that's a list it's a short list of things that can look like and or cause um, um, depression or depressive symptoms so make sure that you look at those things and consider those things and you know at the end of the day the most important thing you can do is be proactive be proactive with your diet. Be proactive with your social activities. Be proactive with work. Be proactive with the other areas in your life um, so that you can pre prevent a depressive episode in the first place. And like I said, try to take a holistic approach. I think that's the best long term. Um, and as I tell every client who comes to me, and as I also point out in my book, The Nutrient Diet, um, all wellness mental wellness and other wellness starts with nutrition if you don't give your body the nutrients the building blocks the foundation then 
you could be on any medication and it's just not going to help you nearly as well or it may not work at all. Um, you know, all those neurotransmitters, all the things that make you feel good and make your brain work right, dopamine, serotonin, glutamate, glycine, GABA, norepinephrine, um, I could go down the list. All those things are based on your body having the right nutrients to produce them. If you don't have the right nutrients, nutrients and nutrition to produce those, then you're just kind of running on fumes. Um, and so, and then that's where you're probably going to end up in a situation where doctors try this and try that and try this and try that, and you're going to be on and off different medications and nothing's going to work. And it could be the case that there's some other underlying thing that's missing, like diet nutrition that nobody's checked for. Uh, and it's just a lot to go through. So always go back to the basics nutrition, lifestyle choices, uh, and proactive approaches. So with that, I'm going to end. Thank you so much for tuning in. This uh, lasted a little bit longer than I thought, but I think I was fairly comprehensive about it. Be sure to check out my self-improvement books, Tomato Bis for the Brain and Sweet Potato Pie for the uh, Spirit, Soul, and Psyche, a tribute to Oprah Winfrey and Super Soul Sundays. Check out my nutrient um, uh, diet, nutrition, uh, health, wellness, and weight loss book, The Nutrient Diet. And you can also check out the Facebook group, Fresh Start with Dr. David. So thank you so much for tuning in, and I will see you during the next episode. Bye-bye.